welcome to the Open Government Podcast. I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasta. Each episode of the Open Government Podcast, we bring you an interview with someone working on open government and citizen engagement in their community. And today we have Jennifer Hollett, a true Renaissance woman. She's a former Much Music VJ and a journalist with the CBC and CTV. Jennifer also holds a Master in Public Administration from Harvard University and developed the critically acclaimed Super PAC app at the MIT Media Lab. And now she's running for political office for the Canadian Federal Writing of University Rosedale. And I guess our first question should be, Jennifer, how do you see a web and technology savvy political candidate like yourself fitting in an environment where the stereotypical politician is that of a lawyer or a doctor or a real estate mogul or a captain of industry? I think that we should have a diverse range of backgrounds and experiences represented in the House of Commons. So I think actually my journalism background, sometimes people joke and say, don't we have enough you know, journalists uh, in, in federal government? And there's some truth to that. Uh, but we don't have a lot of representation when it comes to digital and tech. And I'm hoping to change that. And I think why it's important is that digital tech and data is creating new ways for people to participate in democracy, for people to see themselves as part of government. And that's extremely important, especially right now with an all-time high when it comes to voter apathy. I want to probe a little further on these new ways for people to participate. Uh, you recently talked about uh, slacktivism and how that's a, a way for people to engage for better or for worse. Can you start telling us a little bit about those ways and how, how you see the potential of those ways for people to engage? Yeah, so I recently delivered the annual Hancock Lecture at U of T at Hart House, and the topic and, and theme of the week-long long event actually was slacktivism. And slacktivism in its current definition is a combination of the word slacker and the word activism. Slacker meaning to slack off, to be lazy, little effort, and activism, the complete opposite, to stand up and speak out on something to get involved with uh, a political or social issue. Now, I don't believe slacktivism exists. I think it is a dismissive way to describe how young people are embracing digital and getting involved with political and social issues. But the idea with slacktivism is liking a Facebook page or using a hashtag, or signing an electronic petition. And I think these are great ways to get people involved with the world around them. And I, I don't think that's where it ends. It's where it starts. So it's up to campaign organizers and movement builders uh, to come up with the tax, tactics and strategy to find people online and begin that engagement. Very few people are going to jump in and say, I'm going to lead a rally and I have 300 people who can attend. Uh, they they want to find out more about the issue or cause and ease their way in. And digital is a great way to welcome people to the conversation. I love that idea of kind of a, a micro-engagement saying, hey, I support this or giving a thumbs up to something and as, a, as an entryway. Once we've got people in that entrance, though, what do we do with them once we, once we have people engaged? How do we actually get them to the point where they're starting to try and make a larger impact? I think it depends on the campaign. I can speak from my experience on political campaigns. Ultimately, on a political campaign, we know that you have the biggest impact 
door-to-door, face-to-face. And if you can't get door-to-door, you get on the phone. But it's actually getting harder and harder to reach people by phone and at the doors because we're moving to mobile phones. So those numbers are enlisted and people are, are, are busy. They're, they're not at home till late in the evening, uh, especially people who live in, in condos, young people like ourselves. Uh, so we have to be creative with the different ways we can engage. But on a political campaign, if I see someone has liked me on Facebook or followed me on Twitter, it's now a challenge to me and my campaign team to get them to a meeting, right? Get them to a volunteer session to find out more, get them to a rally, uh, get them to a tweet up. Uh, and then with the goal of getting them to actually get out and, and door knock, the ultimate goal of, of leading a canvas on their own. But it's different for every campaign, and that's why strategy matters. You can't just willy-nilly create a Facebook group or hashtag and think that's enough. Uh, that is a tactic and a set of new tools that should be used as part of a, a larger, very focused strategy for the change that you want to see. And one of the reasons why people like there's some people that do get engaged at that entry level, but there's some people that are completely turned off by politics. And you had a TED talk called How to Hate Politics. And I'm wondering if you could just give us a little bit of the gist on the themes that you were trying to head on for that TED talk. Sure, Richard, you say, you know, some people don't want to get involved. I think most people don't want to get involved, and I don't blame their, blame them. There's so many things wrong with the government, and I think the biggest thing is it feels like it's happening to us, right, that it's it's removed, it's floating above our head, and it's, it's coming at us. We're actually, we are government. We are politics. Uh, when a candidate comes to your, to your door, uh, they are applying for the job to represent you. Politicians are working for the people, but I think most people don't feel in, engaged and, and they're really turned off by politics. And I wanted to talk about this uh, in the TEDx talk format, but I, I knew if I started talking about politics that most people would, would tune out. So I thought I would just recognize a truth which is most of us hate politics. And that's why I'm getting involved, because it doesn't have to be that way. And I use technology as a way to bring out the new and exciting possibilities that exist with civic engagement, thanks to new digital tools that make it more accessible, more engaging, and more fun. There's no reason that politics can't be fun, that it can't be accessible to the average person. And that's something I'm, I'm trying to change. And I think you know, data and, and digital makes it really easy to do that. Well, let's continue on that line. Can you give us some examples on how you can use or how you'd like to use data and technology to make pol- politics uh, more engaging? Sure. I think I'll, I'll start with Open Data Day. I mean, I attended this recently, and I think it's a good example of bringing people together to take a look at what's going on at a municipal, provincial, or federal level, giving people access to their government, giving people tools and data and information that they can explore, ask questions, and and try to find answers. And I, I think that the key with data is that it has the potential to fix everything we hate about government. It can bring us 
better transparency, more accountability, efficiency. You know, these are the things that turn people off of government and data is a way in to do that. I had a great opportunity when I was studying at Harvard to be on the research team for Vivek Kundra. He was the first CIO of the United States government. And working with Vivek, I, I learned about all the new opportunities that exist with data, not just for government, but also for journalism and business. But I think the first part of that is realizing that the average person can engage with data and they can have a say, they can contribute to data, they can collect data, uh, and that it's something that, that everyone can take part in. And I think there's still a lot of barriers. I think this conversation we're having, most people feel intimidated listening to it because sometimes it's new new terms and, and, and new technology. Uh, but the good news is, is that uh, we are building on that. And it's actually these types of discussions that allow more people to get involved and see themselves in the process. And I think we're we're pretty conscious that this is a bit of a of a niche topic with a niche audience. So so it's it's not uh, a podcast that's necessarily going to be listened to by everyone by by all the all the people that we'd lo- love to reach. For those of us that are listening, however, what are some kind of tangible calls to action? What can we do to start engaging with the people that normally aren't part of this conversation? Are there any uh, tips, tools, tricks, advice that you're willing to give? Sure. I think uh, one thing that we have to be very conscious of is inviting unlikely allies uh, to the spaces where we're having these conversations. So too often we invite our friends who are working on startups or in the public policy space uh, or who are active on Twitter and we say, come and and take a look at uh, civic tech. That's what I like to call this, civic technology, right? Uh, Whereas we should be inviting students and and families. And you know what I always love about Open Data Day, there's always a couple of regular citizens who show up with lots of big questions, uh, but a passion, right? A passion to get involved. And I think our movement is stronger uh, when we have more voices at the table. I think that's one thing we have to do. I think the other thing, too, is that we need, need to take the time to educate uh, and train people around these, these opportunities. And students are, I think, uh, a very obvious group where we can create curriculum and workshops to do that. Um, but I think we could also do some reverse mentoring, too. I love the idea when uh, someone knows a lot about technology or new tools, uh, training and sharing that experience with someone who is older and more senior and has experience uh, in another area or field or wisdom to share and, and doing you know, that type of reverse mentoring. So I think that would be a great place to start. One of the things I struggle with as a candidate is it's very difficult for me to talk about digital and data at the door because most people you know, don't have the, the words to have that conversation. Uh, and I think we still have a, a lot of work to do so people can understand what's possible uh, with open government and what that even means, what it looks like, and, and, and how someone can have that selectivist point of entry and feel welcome. Well, that's quite a mountain you got to climb on that, on that conversation during a 30-day writ period. Uh, we wish you the best of luck, Jennifer. Continue your fantastic work in so many different avenues, tech and policy, politics. Uh, you know, you'd make one heck of a candidate, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And thank you for joining us here today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that you guys do this podcast and I will make sure to share it with people who don't know about it. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? Bringing more people into this conversation. So I look forward to doing that.
Thanks Sounds again. Good to us. Thank you very much. That was Jennifer Hollett from Toronto, Ontario on the Open Government Podcast. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can reach her on Twitter at Jennifer Hollett. That's Jennifer H-O-L-L-E-T-T or through her website at JenniferHollett.com. And as always, you can send us questions on our hashtag OGTPod. Thanks as always to Cheryl's Crush for the, providing the podcast music. Until next time, I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Rasta. Thanks for listening and we'll be back soon with our next interview with someone in the Open Government community. Thank you.